This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is away this week. She returns on Monday. In the meantime, it's good to be with you again. We were disturbed to learn this morning, as I'm sure you were as well, that 63 Canadians were among all 176 people killed on that Ukraine International Airlines flight from Tehran to Kyiv. The Boeing 737-800 aircraft had just taken off from Iran's main airport when it crashed. Since then, there have been various theories about what might have led to the crash, which took place hours after Iran launched ballistic missile attacks on two Iraqi bases, which house American soldiers. So we've decided to go to an aviation expert to get a clearer picture of what likely happened. Joining us is Keith Mackey. Aviation Safety Consultant with Mackey International. Thanks for joining us, Keith. You're welcome, Jen. Keith, what do you suspect happened? Well, we really don't have enough information at this point. We just have to put together the pieces that we have. And we know several things. We know that the takeoff profile seemed normal, that the aircraft uh, left the ground at the proper point, climbed at about the normal rate to about 8,000 feet. At that point... The radar track disappeared. Uh, there was no further contact with the aircraft on radar or on voice either. And the crash site was just a short distance from that point where he was last, uh, the last radar hit. So we know that it descended very rapidly, very steeply, impacted by the pictures of the wreckage, uh, of very hard at a, a steep angle. And this leaves several possibilities that we can't rule out. We can't rule out the bomb. We can't rule out that it may have been shot down by mistake. And uh, the likelihood of just having an engine failure or something causing the accident probably is not true because the aircraft will fly fine on one engine, and it certainly wouldn't descend that rapidly. The problem is that the uh, data is contained in the black boxes. We have the cockpit voice recorder, which would record any conversations in the cockpit, any radio calls, any sirens, sounds that went off. And then we also have the digital flight data recorder, which gives us a tremendous amount of information on the position of all the flight controls, the power that the engine's putting out, temperatures and pressures in the various systems. These boxes have been recovered, but the Iranians are not going to allow Boeing to, uh, to have them uh, in their possession. Now, Boeing isn't the only place that uh, can read these boxes. They could go to Paris, for example, uh, perhaps even to Canada. But uh, somebody knowledgeable with the proper equipment is going to have to analyze these boxes in order to help find the, uh, the cause of the accident. So until we get a normal investigation underway, we're probably going to be just speculating on a lot of this information. 
So what what is the protocol now that it would appear the Iranians are holding on to the black box? What what sort of international agency needs to be brought in to try to get access to it? Well, because the crash occurred on Iranian uh, soil, they have the uh, full authority, according to International Civil Aviation Organization protocol, to conduct the investigation. Now, normally, when there's an accident like this, teams are brought in. For example, Boeing would send a team. The GE and Cessna, the manufacturers of the engine, would send in a team. The uh, Ukrainians, because it was their aircraft and their crew, would send in a team. And these people would all work together using the evidence available to try to determine the cause of the crash. And this takes a a period of time. Mm -hmm. Normally, it takes at least a year to come up with an official report. Now, because of the fact that this happened in Iran, and they appear not to be interested in uh, uh, cooperating fully, we may have some additional problems in learning exactly what happened. Keith, tell us about this plane, the 737-800. Well, it's a very common airplane. It's a fairly late variant of the 737 series. It's one of the NG, or new generation, aircraft. Uh, This one is only three and a half years old. There's thousands of them flying around the world. It's very common to be used on uh, short to medium-haul flights, as was used here. So there's no stigma or anything against the aircraft that would suggest that a chronic problem or anything like that. Right. Several thousand Boeing 737-800s are in operation around the world. So these are, this is a completely different plane than the 737s which were taken out of commission. Right. The, uh, the ones that were taken out of commission were based on this, but they were modified with that MCAS system that caused the problems with the, uh, with the MAX-8 aircraft. Mm-hmm. But that's a different subject completely, and it isn't related to probably what has happened here because that system wasn't on this airplane. We're speaking with Keith Mackey, aviation safety consultant with Mackey International, about the tragic uh, Ukraine International Airlines aircraft crash uh, that led to uh, the deaths of 63 Canadians. What's interesting, and I know that this is not particularly your area of expertise, Keith, but 147 of the victims, it's come out, were Iranian, suggesting 65 of the foreign nationals had dual nationalities. Uh, so they they are, in many cases, they were born in Iran. I think that's probably the case. Iran does not recognize dual citizenship. So they, they said 147, I believe, of the passengers were Iranian. And we know that 65 of them also held uh, Canadian passports. So likely they were all dual citizens. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that uh, a number of them came from the Edmonton area and that there may have been a community there that they're part of, an Iranian community in Edmonton, but I'm sure that'll come out soon. Right. We're starting to get some information about the passengers who died in the crash. Uh, now, we're, we're, it's interesting, on social media, you, there's any number of different theories that have been floating around, but the video of the last few seconds of the plane's flight, it can be seen streaking across the night sky while on fire before it quickly loses height. 
There's an initial explosion close to the ground and then a final blast that lights up the area. What can what can we garner from that visual? Well, it's a little difficult to tell. It's a, a, a fairly short video, and we see a lighted object. It, we don't know if that's landing lights we're looking at or uh, uh, the aftermath of an explosion that we're looking at. Uh, the, the colors of it, it's fairly light in color. It looks to me like landing lights, which would be on normally below 10,000 feet. Uh, the aircraft then descends fairly rapidly. And uh, as you stated, there is uh, an explosion shortly before impact and then the final impact explosion. But my question is, who was videoing this? It looked like it was shot with a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, why would somebody be out there uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning shooting video of this aircraft? And when it hit the ground, why was there not more excitement in the voice of the person who was videoing it? So I think these are questions we're going to need the answers for. Wow. Uh, another uh, air aviation expert like yourself says that any suggestion of engine failure feels premature, uh, saying one cannot discount the possibility that something outside the aircraft, a mid-air collision or some other issue may have been involved. Because as you say, and as others have said, if there was engine failure, the plane would still be able to fly for a period of time. It would have been able to fly into a run out of fuel. Ah. It could have probably flown all the way to uh, its destination if it had to. They're designed to fly very well without uh, on one engine. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, various airlines, quite a few, have announced they are now avoiding both Iranian and Iraqi airspace. What do you what do you get from that move? Well, perhaps a little, <laughs> a little too late. Uh, the FAA has banned flights below 26,000 feet over Iraq for some time, and yesterday they banned all flights through Iraqi and Iranian airspace, and they included also the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. So no uh, FAA registered aircraft or FAA crew member is allowed to fly an aircraft in that airspace. Now, other countries can do as they wish. But if you remember the uh, uh, the Malaysian Flight 17 that was shot down over the Ukraine mm-hmm. in a similar war zone in 2014, yes. that kind of uh, brings back home uh, what could happen and what maybe did happen. So it, it seems to me, and and it's it's very easy to speculate in situations like these, but it it seems to me that you are pointing and others like yourself are pointing to something other than a mechanical engine failure, that it seems suspicious uh, in light of everything that's going on between Iran and the United States. Well, I would agree with that. I think that uh, those things have to be looked at first, and I'm sure that will be. Now, of course, if it turns out that uh, Iran made a mistake, and cause this, I don't think they're going to be anxious to admit it. So that's going to be another consideration. So we'll just, uh, there again, if they withhold the black boxes, that may be the reason why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. 
Ukraine's president says the entire civil aviation fleet for Ukraine International Airlines would be checked for airworthiness and criminal proceedings would be opened into the disaster. Uh, given the fact that you said that Iran has every right to keep the black box and conduct their own investigation, how would the Ukrainian government go about doing that? Well, there again, it's international politics. Uh, the procedure is for the black boxes to be examined and the information gleaned, shared among the parties that are or should be participating in the investigation. Now, if that doesn't happen, uh, we may have some issues in determining the exact cause of the accident. Keith, I've enjoyed our conversation, uh, very informative, and uh, as you say, we are very premature. We're very early in trying to figure out what exactly happened, but we appreciate the facts that you've given to us in order to come to our own conclusions, at least in the early going. Well, you're very welcome, Jane. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.